Good morning, Las Vegas. This is the Towel Boys. He's Mike Gramala of the Las Vegas Sun. I'm Tyler Bischoff. Our movie from two weeks ago was Jaws. We'll get to Jaws. Mike is going to have to eat some food. I think this is going to be an easy one for you. Although I know you don't like weird textures and stuff, so there might be a texture problem. Ah, don't they... tell me that on the before we even start the show, because now it's going to preoccupy my mind for the next hour that's okay I, I think people would rather hear you complain about an unknown food you might have to eat than yell at them about brandon mccoy probably how do you how do we we've done the brandon mccoy should he go pro or should he not go pro show and unfortunately mike and i agree i did enjoy that like draft night was thursday night and i took a large portion of my thursday night to yell at people who were saying, oh, looks like Brandon McCoy should have stayed at UNLV. He went undrafted. And then Mike comes in on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday yelling at the same people. Days, the same that, I, days that I had plenty of time on my hands, <laughs> which is really, um, yeah, looking back, I probably should have written something for the paper, a column or some sort of analysis uh, outlining my, my point of view, um, more so than just wasting hours and hours on Twitter. How do you argue with people online? constantly that's like your thing you go oh at, it's fun you go at you go at yeah. people and you sort of argue and you um you have con- online confrontations and you have all kinds of blow-ups and that's like because i think i'm funny and i try to make jokes and that is the end game is to try to make myself laugh okay and other people i must be going at it wrong because like you should you can't go exa- in trying to prove a point you okay. just got to try and try to roast people. i think that was my issue is yeah. that i thought i could steer people to the light and make them see um, the the truth instead of just their own. If somebody feels passionately enough about it to tweet at you that you're wrong, you're not going to change their opinion. That's true. It's a I sent out like a series of tweets, like a a million of them over the weekend, and the first five were like I was like, okay, I'll I'll put this out there, and then when people see it, they'll understand why he went pro. And that was the first five. <laughs> Three days later, and then like five through twenty <laughs> was just me saying those same things over and over again, and in, in response to people who. Tried to counter it and saying, no, well, actually, here, here's the thing. I was well, well, actually, everyone. And um, and then tweets 20 through 50 was just me not wanting to let anyone get the last word. I was completely done with it. I was over with it. I just wanted to watch Jaws in peace. But I just couldn't let anyone have the last word and think that they were right on the subject. And then by the end of it, I was just exhausted. I felt like I ran a, a half marathon. No, see, the way you do it is it's actually one of the things I did for Run Rebs, R.I.P., that like I'm most proud of was back. It was like a few weeks after the season ended. It's a great idea. It's I great, asked for people to send me your reasons as to why Brandon McCoy should stay at UNLV and not go to the draft. And then I went through and said why everybody was wrong. And it was great. And there was actually one reason that, and we talked about it. There was one reason that held up as, as maybe a good reason why he should come back. And that is, Next year's draft class, specifically next year's big man draft class, is much weaker than this year's draft class. So there is a possibility that McCoy doesn't get any better, but simply moves up the draft chart just because there's not as many good big men in next year's draft. But other than that, all of the other reasons you and I both agree with, there's no reason Brandon McCoy should come back to UNLV. Like there, there's nothing here at UNLV that he should come back to. Yeah, well, my I think I mean I have many good points on the subject <laughs> that any one of them taken on their own should win it in my favor in our favor, but uh, I think the main one is that the idea of just 
the nebulous idea of come back and improve your draft stock. Yeah, which everybody I, has it. I don't believe in that, and I don't think anyone else should believe in that either. It should be, first of all, you have to take it on a case-by-case basis. Not everyone is in the same situation. Um, Brandon McCoy is... Guys who can typically improve their draft stock are guys who have more to show you in college. They're under the radar. They... A good example who's fresh in your mind is Chandler Hutchinson, who's from the Mountain West and, you know, didn't play much his first couple of years, has sort of a breakout junior season where, you know, he's six seven. He's probably never played on the perimeter, handled the ball, played in that sort of role before, until he got to college. In high school, he's probably more of a inside-the-paint type of guy. And as he's expanding his game, he's getting better. He's sort of opening eyes and people saying, oh, this Chandler Hutchison, he's on the draft radar. He might be an NBA player. Now, if he goes pro after his junior year, he's going to have to, you know, maybe second-round pick, prove it in summer league, um, try to make a roster that way. Come back as a senior, you're the entire focus of the team. You're showing that you can carry that team. Look at all your perimeter skills. You're getting more touches. You're getting more reps. You're getting more chances to show um, the improvements that you've made and you can convince a team, the Chicago Bulls in this case, who's picking in the, the 20s late in the first round, to say, this guy, we want him on our team in the first round. We're willing to make that commitment. Let's make a promise to him. That's a guy who can improve his draft stock. Brandon McCoy, he came into UNLV already on the draft radar. Like These NBA people have seen him play. Um, they know what he's about. And it wasn't as though he was hidden and they were hiding his skills. You know, He played a. He was the number one option for UNLV. He got a million touches. Um, he got a bunch of shots. They used him. They played to his strengths. Like they showed you, UNLV built a system. They ran a system that was designed to show you what Brandon McCoy can do and hide what he can't do. and hide what he can't do. And he was pretty good at what he could do. I don't think you're going to get a lot from him coming back from it as a sophomore and doing the same thing, but just better because of his natural progress. Like everyone improves from age. That was another argument that I got a lot was. Well, come back and you'll get stronger and physically quicker and you'll get better. It's like, yeah, but NBA scouts factor that into their evaluation. No, of no, you. they don't. They're, they're not dra- draft they're not drafting you to be nineteen years old forever. They're they're drafting you saying, <laughs> We project him to improve this much this year, and then this much, and then this much, and then this much. Every player improves from age eighteen to twenty six, you know, that's when you <laughs> go up and then you hit your prime. So they're factoring that in. If he comes back, yeah, he'll be he'll be stronger, he'll be quicker. His touch will be a little better. He'll be a little more relaxed and poised, uh, you know, with the ball in his hands, maybe. But if he comes back and just does the same thing for UNLV, plays the same role and puts up 25 points and, you know, 12 rebounds a game, it's like, yeah, that's a good year, but it's not going to move the needle for the NBA. They already know he can do that stuff. Chandler Hutchison, to keep with that comparison, his freshman year, he took three shots per game. Brandon McCoy came to UNLV and took 12 shots per game as a freshman. And... Like that to to use Hutchison as a comparison is faulty in terms of comparing two types of players. Like it's it's just not the same guy. Brandon McCoy is not the guy that's going to rise up a draft stock because he plays well in college. He would have. I mean, the only way McCoy improves his draft stock is if he shows defensively he can guard out to the perimeter. And Marvin Menzies is going to do if he comes back. Marvin Menzies is doing everything he can not to have him guarding on the perimeter. Yeah, Marvin Menzies has a job to do, and it's yes, it's developing big men. And I would argue that he did develop Brandon McCoy. I, Brandon McCoy. I would say this on Menzies because I I saw a lot of people that were saying because you and I were saying Marvin Menzies isn't using McCoy like he's not developing him for the NBA like he's using him to win games. 
people were like trying to use that as a dig against Marvin Menzies. It's not. Marvin Menzies is using McCoy in the best way possible to win Mountain West games. Like, Marvin Menzies has to win games yeah. or anything else is, is moot because he's not going to have a job. It's like, as a college coach, you can say, yeah, we want to develop guys for the pros. Yeah, we want to graduate players. And yeah, we want to have a good GPA. And yeah, we want to produce good citizens. You don't get to do any of that <laughs> unless you win games. And he knows that better than anyone. And Brandon McCoy, the best way for Brandon McCoy to help them win games is to park his butt in the paint, throw him the ball 20 times a game, let him shoot 65% around the rim, and just basically score over these helpless Mountain West defenders. It does not help UNLV to have Brandon McCoy playing the pick-and-pop game, shooting five three-pointers a game. He may eventually become a – I mean, that's what the NBA wants to see. Like – Brandon McCoy had a, a workout for NBA teams here that I went to and I talked to him and I said, so you're going to these private workouts and what are these teams asking you for? What do you get the feeling that they want to see? He's like, the only thing they care about, they just want to know if I can shoot threes and if I can uh, communicate and play team defense. That's that's what he said. He said, he said they, they, the only thing they care about is shooting threes and playing team defense. I, and that's, you. if he comes back to UNLV, is he going to prove that he can do those things? He's not going to get the chance. No. And you can't blame Marvin Menzies for that because Marvin Menzies has to win games. Marvin Menzies is developing Brandon McCoy in a way that he's using him to his strengths and he's developing those strengths. And McCoy had a very good year. Um, I think that he just, those skills that he needs to prove his, if he comes back and has a great season next year, he's not raising his stock from undrafted to first round guaranteed money. It's not going to happen. I don't care how weak the draft class is. They're just, Look through the draft uh, results and try and find me guys who look like Brandon McCoy, who play like Brandon McCoy, who are drafted in the first round. Like it does not happen anymore, and it's not going to happen for a long time. And thus, someone comes along that changes the game that is so good that changes it back to the old school style of you know post up centers. It's not going to happen. Like if Brandon McCoy comes out ten years ago, he's you know top half of the first round. Look at Jaleel Okafor was the guy I compared him to on Twitter who's, I think, a pretty good comparison, a guy who can only score with his back to the basket, really, um, below average athlete for the NBA, athlete uh, average maybe when he reaches his, his peak, uh, not a team defender, not a rim protector, not a guy who can switch in space. That sounds like a lot like Brandon McCoy. Okafor was a number three pick like four years ago. In that time that's elapsed, if that same draft happened today, Julio Okafor would not be drafted. Yeah, it's that it's gone that quickly that you've gone from guys like Brandon McCoy that – Teams are like, oh, yeah, we we want to have that type of player, too. All of a sudden, that guy's useless. Like, we can't put him on the floor. Like, he just can't go out there because, like, if you use the Golden State Warriors as the comparison, who who is he guarding? Like, who would Brandon McCoy guard if you had to put him in the lineup against the Golden State Warriors? And the answer is nobody. Like, he cannot guard a single player that's in that lineup. And the thing that's worse than that, it makes it even worse, is in the NBA – there may be a team that you can guard a player, like Brandon McCoy, say, oh, we can put him out there and he can guard that guy and survive. You don't get to guard that guy in the NBA because the first thing that teams do is put you in a pick and roll or a screen and roll, and they make you switch, and they make Brandon McCoy. Like if Brandon McCoy played the Cleveland Cavaliers, you could say, oh, well, he can match up against Tristan Thompson. They, that's a physical profile match. Maybe he can stick with him. The first possession he's out there, they're going to run a pick and roll, and he's going to be on LeBron. He's going to be guarding LeBron on the wing, and they're going to clear out that side, and it's going to be LeBron James versus Brandon McCoy. And can Brandon McCoy move his feet side to side? But if 30 he came feet from the back, basket and maybe he could move his seat, feet side to side and guard LeBron. Yeah, maybe. I guess that's what people want me to think. Uh, Here, I'm, 
I think a, a year in the G League, uh, or if he plays extremely well and, and has a great summer league and earns a roster spot or a training camp invite, a year on an NBA bench is going to be much more beneficial to him than another year in college. The thing that really blew me away from UNLV fans and is that they all think UNLV basketball is like some great place to play basketball. Like, UNLV has had four straight seasons of a losing record in the Mountain West. Like, they're not sniffing the NCAA tournament. Like, there is nothing about UNLV that is, oh, this is a great place to play. Like, you need to come back to UNLV and play here another year. And I I understand that you don't think the G League is a great place to play because nobody pays attention to the G League. But how is playing the Reno Bighorns different from playing the Utah State Aggies? Like, it's not. Like, playing in the Mountain West as the eighth-place team in the Mountain West is nothing special to come back to. And UNLV fans have it in their head that playing at UNLV is better than the G League, and it's not. Like, there were times when, during this the past couple seasons, when you would show up to UNLV media uh, availability and McCoy or whoever would be talking to the media that day, and there would be three people there. There would be yeah. three, you know, journalists. It would be me, you, and, like, Mark Anderson, and then... It's like, do you feel like a star, like a big, a big sports star? It's a media market. Do you feel like a superstar when there's like three guys and two of them are me and you, yeah. and then we're the ones that, and like, that's the only people that show. So, yeah, it, it's you look north and you see the Martin twins coming back to uh, Nevada, and you say, well, why doesn't Brandon McCoy want to come back to UNLV? It's like the, the Martin twins are coming back. They they went through the draft process. They're going to come back to improve their draft stock. They're not coming back to improve their draft stock. They're coming back because they're going to the Final Four. They're going to have the most fun season of their lives. And I think they realize, you know, what their pro future holds. It's going to be second round, try to make the NBA, try to stick with the team. If not, head to Europe for 10 years and uh, be rich at the end of it. But for now, that season that they're about to have with Nevada is super fun. It'll probably be the pinnacle it's of be their the, it's basketball It's going to be the time of their lives. It's going to be the time of their lives. They'll never forget it. It's going to be the greatest thing they'll ever experience. UNLV may be on the upswing. They may be you know, rebuilding, and you can predict things, great things down the road. Brandon McCoy is not coming back to a Final Four team. He's yeah. that, you can't really entice him with that kind of stuff. And it's, it's, um, I know he likes Marvin Menzies. They've got a good relationship. They're really close. That's not enough to bring you back when you're looking at you know, professional you know, making money for a living and being able to be a, a pro basketball player. I enjoy also how how people either don't realize or take a dump on like making six figures playing professional basketball. Brandon McCoy is going to make a hundred thousand dollars this year because he's summer league. I, I think they give him a small salary. Or maybe it's just a stipend, but like you go to training camp with an NBA team, it's fifty thousand dollars. How much you get paid just going to training camp? and going through the preseason schedule with an NBA team. And he's going to be in training camp yeah, for someone. He's going to do that. You go to the G League, the salaries got bumped up to $40,000 this year. That's $90,000. You get a 10-day call-up to the NBA, 10-day contract. That's a golden ticket. Yeah, that's like a million dollars extra on top of that. And people, the best part about it is, just since I've been here, I've only been here four seasons, there's been so much, like, UNLV player goes pro, doesn't get drafted, gets drafted late, and now he's, in, he's a fringe NBA player. Steven Zimmerman, Christian Wood, and people use those as examples as like, uh-oh, he's not, he's following in the same footsteps here. 
both Zimmerman and Wood have made over a million dollars in their career. Wood's been gone for two years, Zimmerman for one, and they've both already made over a million dollars playing basketball. Like, and people just think that that is terrible. And some of it is, oh, well, if he comes back, then next year he'll be guaranteed the $1.8 million as the 15th pick or whatever. But it's just weird to me that people try to like, oh, he's only going to make $90,000. He's only going to make $150,000 playing basketball next year. And it's like, yeah, it's probably not what he thought he was making two years ago, but I'm here for it. Like, I'm down for that. Yeah, but your athletic scholarship is worth yeah. 10 times that much in the long run, Tyler. Because That's if, right. if Brandon McCoy ever wants to become an engineer or a journalist or oh, something, he should do that. Or something else that we they teach. Well, he didn't they, listen to me. So. Or something else that they teach at UNLV, then he could make that salary back tenfold over the course of his life, which. Don't don't you can't don't argue that you're talking about basketball players. You're like don't argue that they're like a I don't an end of the bench guy who's there to boost the team's GPA. Yeah, you're gonna want to stick around and get that scholarship. Brandon McCoy will be able to go back to school whenever if he ever wants to go back to school and get his uh his musicology major or whatever he wants to do, he can do that at some point in the future or during the off season or whatever. Um, that's not a factor right now. Like the athletic scholarship is nice. It's not anything that is going to enter in, into his equation. Like, he, if he wants to get his education at some point, you can go back and get your education. If five years from now he's been out of the league for a couple of years and he's washed out and uh, it's over for him and he's, you know, all but retired, he can go back to school at 25 and he'll be fine. The other thing I saw was a couple people referencing about, oh, he's got to get that second contract. Where it's like Chris Wood and Zimmerman, yeah, sure, they've made a million dollars, but they're not getting that second contract. Brandon McCoy getting a second contract in the NBA has nothing to do with whether he comes back to UNLV. If he's good enough to make an NBA roster, get a first contract, and then come back, be good enough to get signed somewhere else, he's doing that regardless of whether he comes to UNLV or not. They're going to get signed to a second contract on the basis of what you've done in the NBA for the past two years as a free agent, not what you did at UNLV as a sophomore and yeah. junior. No one's it, paying you to do what you did at UNLV. It's like Pat McCall. He's a, I think he's a restricted free agent, so the Warriors kind of have a lot of power over him. But his second contract is going to be this year. It's not going to be because he broke out from three-star, unheralded recruit to, oh, he's the best player on UNLV. It's going to be because, oh, this is what he did for the Warriors for two seasons. Like, that's it. It's what he does in the NBA that's going to determine that second contract. So, I don't know. I if just think people are dumb. If you're... If as a question, I I said this on Twitter. If you, if today the NCAA passed a rule that said you know undrafted guys can come back to college, and you said Brandon McCoy, you come back. We got a space for you on the team. Come back to UNLV. Um, you'll be the man. You can improve your draft stock, and you can get bigger and stronger, and have another year in college, and then try your hand in the 2019 NBA draft. Or you can stay and be undrafted this year. Go into summer league with the Milwaukee Bucks, the refuge of former UNLV washouts, and you could try to make a roster that way, and you could start your pro career now. What do you think he would do? He's gone. He, he would stay. He would. They would not come back to UNLV. Yeah. He wants to be a professional basketball player. There's yeah. There's nothing he's coming back to UNLV for. There's not. There's nothing to come back for. Like the only like it's the I like Marvin Menzies. That's it. Like that's the only reason to come back to UNLV. You come back, you're going to be lucky to be the fifth best team in the Mountain West. You come back, you're 
yeah, it's just going to be another year of Fred. He's going to have to deal with me if he has to come back. I'm the reason he didn't come back. It's because he didn't want to talk to me. He already blocked me on Bad Twitter. Bad relationship with the media. Yeah, that's what it was. He blocked me on Twitter, and that was it. That was the end of the day. All right. You want to talk about football and the greatest yes. promotion? Yes. How did it? How, how did it take this long for some team to do this? I don't know. Are they the first? They, they've gotten a lot of national attention. As as I, I won't say people have said they're the first, but like it's national attention. Like, look at this new thing. So they might be. Yeah, I saw. I read a story in the Sun written by uh, who's that? My boss, Ray Brewer. It was behind a paywall. Maybe you didn't read it, but it was uh, <laughs> it was worth paying for and worth reading. And it said uh, there were some other. Team like other sports that had tried it, or something similar, or okay. some other sort of promotion like that. So, but I think this is the first college football team to do it. So, if you're unaware, UNLV is introducing an "eat all you can" plan, which I hate. But is the phrase "all you can eat" trademarked? It must be because why would you not? That would be yes. like that. That would be the most UNLV thing is to <laughs> just... re- rephrase it just for the hell of it, like they did with their logo. <laughs> So it is the eat all you can plan, not the all you can eat plan. That's eat horrible. all you can. Um, what and there, there's different season ticket packages that are actually a better deal than this. But I'm not sure if you have to have season tickets to get those extra or whatever. But don't have to have season tickets, and this is the deal: you pay seventy nine dollars, you get a ticket to three games, and those are UTEP, Fresno State, and Nevada. Take it to three games, and you get all you can eat at those games of hot dogs, nachos, popcorn, and soda. That's it. It is $79. It's not $79 per game. It is $79. And you get three games. Eat all you can. It is. I mean, that's like, granted, UNLV football is not good. You're not like going to T-Mobile Arena to watch the Golden Knights, but that's like as good of a deal as you can get. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like I would, if I was not Do covering you eat any the games. Of those things? What's the list again? Hot dogs, Hot nachos, dogs? Popcorn, popcorn, soda. Yeah, I can eat all that. Okay. So. Do you eat nachos with the cheese? Uh, yeah. Really? Yeah, I don't eat it with salsa. Okay, but you'll do I nachos like cheese. With, with cheese. Yes. Nacho cheese is okay with my. Uh, yeah, just regular corn chip nachos and cheese. Okay. And, and I... the, like the orange, like stadium cheese. Okay, I thought like... you were gonna go with I'll eat the chips, but no, no cheese, please. I'm, no, I'm kind of surprised you eat nacho cheese. I mean, I haven't in a million years, okay. but I, I have before. But you would. In the past. Like, yeah. if your food the day was nachos with just the chips and the cheese, you would be fine with that. Yes. Okay. I wouldn't go out of my way to order it if yeah. it weren't on this list. Um, I could eat hot dogs and popcorn all day long for yeah. $26. Okay. But yeah, no, that's it. And that is, and to me, it's unreal. And then again, the games, UTEP is the home opener. UTEP is, is garbage, by the way. So, like, UNLV should win that one, but it's the home opener. So, it's the first game of the year. That should be a pretty decent ticket or whatever and then you get fresno state is a good team and then you get nevada like the biggest game on the schedule they threw into this which i was surprised by yeah didn't you think well um i think i'm not sure i may be um repeating something that i saw that's not true but are those golden knights dates i'll, uh, check, right, I'll check right now are they going head to head with the golden knights on those days i don't know uh I'll i feel right like now. they put enough planning into this that they put this out and did not know the Golden Knights schedule, so I can't tell you that for sure. Um, but UTEP, no, UTEP is not a Golden Knights game day. So they, so they're just giving you three good, three you know reasonable games for for no reason. Like yeah. You figure like I think Fresno State and Nevada at least would draw pretty decent crowds on their own, and then UTEP being the the home opener would also be a a decent draw. No, that that's how did it take. 
any team this long to do something like this, and why did it take UNLV so long to do it? That seems. Oh, I mean, you're giving I, them crap for not thinking of it sooner. Yeah, I didn't. I mean, I didn't think of it either. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, that's got to go over big, right? Like people have to do. That's going to bring out people that would not otherwise normally go. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's the question. But what, what I, the comment I saw to it was: this is great because people on the fence are going to go to games now because it's the same price as a normal ticket and you get all you can eat food but i guess the question is how many people are on the fence about going to unlv because i don't know how many people are like yeah maybe i'll go maybe i won't go to the unlv football game i feel like it's much more black and white of yes i love unlv i listen to the towel boys i'm gonna go watch the football team play and unlv football who the hell cares about that like i feel like those are the two i i just don't know what that group of that's in the middle that's on the fence i don't know that that exists or that it's that that big if it does exist there are fans of food. Like there are people who just like to like eat. twenty twenty six dollars for all you can eat hot dogs and nachos and soda is so a pre- is a pretty good. Watch the game. They're just going to wander good the price. concourse. Like if you want to have lunch and you just want to have, hey, <laughs> let me eat like six hot dogs and you know uh, uh, two things of popcorn and a bucket of nachos and you know three sodas over you know three hours. That's a pretty good price. Only three sodas. I think the soda's the thing that's going the most. You're going back there every six seconds for another soda. Probably. I know I would. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's that's a good... I mean, UNLV football, it's fun to sort of poke like, uh, and jab at them for all like their missteps. And yes, the, the everything is a disaster. Do. Yeah. Um, but you start with this promotion, I think, is a winner. I think their pineapple trophy is a Oh, it's so great. Even though Tony Sanchez wants nothing it's, to do with it, it's so great. It's pretty, I, it's, I, I like it ironically. Um, yeah, you know, a football guy, a little something going here yeah. this season with this stuff. The, the, what, the, the thing that's the weirdest, though, is that Nevada's on the schedule, and it's, I mean, if UNLV has five wins or more, going into that game and they probably should like they're going to be favored in enough games that they probably should have five or more that game would sell well regardless of an all-you-can-eat promotion right like that's that's a good ticket to buy regardless of that and so if you get this deal you've all of a sudden got a ticket to that game where you can sit and eat all you want the whole time too if UNLV sells out these three games if Sam Boyd Stadium is sold out for these three games and it's all the all-you-can-eat tickets that are being sold what goes higher on Desiree Reed Francois's resume when she applies for her next job? Is it going to be that? Is it going to be negotiating the joint use for the NFL stadium, or is it going to be building the football complex? Like, what is going to be? Is this going to be her greatest? Well, let's go down. It's her greatest accomplishment. Might, if they at UNLV. if they sell out those three games, if UTEP UNLV is sold out to start the year, could you imagine? Yeah, absolutely. That's that's the greatest thing she will have done. If she get if she sells out a UNLV football game and it has nothing to do with the team being good or the opponent being good, yeah, that's the greatest accomplishment of like any AD's career in the history of, of sports. Like the joint use agreement is probably going to be a bad thing for UNLV. The football practice facility, I don't even know how much Desiree had to do with that. This would be, yeah, this would be if if you if that UTEP game is sold out. She's gone. She's taken the next available Power 5 AD job. I think she should stay another year and try and sell out five home games <laughs> instead of three. And then maybe a Power 5 conference will draft her a little bit higher. Maybe. But it's good. And it's, uh, yeah, UNLV football has done a, a good thing. They got national attention for this good thing. Is there an underlying reason here? Are they trying to fatten people up for anything? Like, is there is there something else we need to be paying attention to? 
feel like we need to be more cynical about it. I don't know. You know, um, one thing that could end up happening because, you know, as we've talked about on the show a lot, I I live for the the free media food at these events. But uh, are UNLV, you going to buy one U, of these? Tickets? UNLV football is sort of UNLV basketball is pizza consistent. It's pizza and brownies and soda every game, every home game. Football changes it up from week to week. One week it could be raising canes. The next week it could be some Hawaiian um, uh, <laughs> barbecue, barbecue thing, yeah. and that, that I want no part of. So if one of these games falls on a day when there's no good food in the press box, I might be down at the uh, box office buying one of these all-you-can-eat tickets, and then <laughs> at halftime I'm hitting the concession stand with everyone else, and I'll just come back with like two armfuls of just food. You can just stay down there the whole time. You can just watch the game from the concession stand. What if during the season I tell my boss like, "Hey, why don't you cover the you do the gamer, you cover you do the game story, and I'll do a color piece where." I go, I do the all-you-can-eat plan, and I sit in the stands and just see how much I can eat during the three and a half hours, and I give you, like, I report on the fan experience of this. Yep, you should do that. Ray Brewer will go for that. I should pitch that. He'll go for that. Do the Fresno State game. Ray will want to cover that one. He thinks they're going to win that one already. His reason is they haven't lost to Fresno State yet since Tony's been here. I like when he covers UNR because he hates hates Nevada. He hates that school. It's funny. He... During the press conference before UNLV Nevada football last year, Ray Brewer was he, he made it weird by he how much he disliked hating Nevada. on the city of Reno so much that Tony Sanchez was like, "You might want to calm down. Like, <laughs> you might not make it out of there alive." Like, he was hating on it so much that the head football coach of UNLV was like, "Whoa, man, let's take it easy here. It's just a rival. It's just a game. <laughs> yeah, it's just football, man. Let's calm down here." And Ray Brewer's like, "No, no, man, I'm gonna keep going." So we'll give him that game, and then I'll just sit in the stands and eat a ton of food and uh, sort of okay, keep a record of it. But if you do that, you have to try a condiment on your hot dogs every time you go. Oh, uh, what a, you know? What I could pitch it. I could pitch it with. I'll do it with Desiree Reed Francois. Yeah. Like me and her will go and we'll see how much we can eat during the game and we'll mingle with fans and she can talk to and I'll report on like, you know, her just doing her thing and glad and like, you know, how she's trying to improve the attendance and this is her thing and oh that'll be good. And you won't even have to worry about like eating foods you don't like because you'll eat all these foods. Exactly. Like the only the only possible question is like, hey, you don't want to put ketchup on your hot dog? Like, that's the only possible thing that could come out of this, which you can just say, nah, ketchup is gross, because ketchup is gross. It is pretty gross. But that's it. this is pretty safe for you, isn't it? It is. This is um, about as safe as it gets for an exciting an exciting piece from Mike Grimala. Yeah, I think um, I think we can actually make that happen. Okay. Mike is now he's sending an email now to Ray? Yep. Okay. He's going to fire that off. While you're doing that, tell us about Troy Brown's draft party. This is somewhat non-UNLV related. Um... It was the first draft party that I've ever been to. Uh, have you ever been? I have not been to a draft party. Yeah, so I have no frame of reference. It's um. Well, we know that Christian Wood did not get drafted, and the RJ got a photo of him with his hands, with his head in his hands, where he looked defeated. Yeah, and that was one of the things before the party started. It was uh. I'll start at the beginning. It was like a regular. It was like an ordinary party, in that I was the first person there. And it was just me and the caterers for a while. It said it started at 3.30. I showed up at like 3 because, you know, I'm not going to show up late. So I'm there and it's just me and the caterers and we're talking, whatever. And then the next person is Troy Brown's manager, who was his AAU coach. And uh, 
So we're talking with him. And then his, Troy Brown's agents uh, show up, and then they have their own photographer who's shooting it for their reasons, and then the Las Vegas Suns photographer shows up. And then so we're all just in a big group talking, and the manager's like, yeah, you know, we, uh, we'll let you know when the call's coming in so you, you can get a photo of him on when he's getting the call and celebrating and whatever. And then he's like, but if, uh, you know, we've got a range where we're looking at, but if it starts to get out of that range and he's still not drafted, you know, if things might get tense, we don't want, you know, no photos of him, you know, um, you know, however he may be reacting. Um, if he's or nervous, Brown, he's tense. Or Chris Wood's manager, not as good as yeah. Troy Brown's manager. And so while he say, while the manager's saying this, I'm I'm nodding, and then I'm also like elbowing our photographer. I'm saying, no, take those pictures. <laughs> like, if he's sad, take those pictures. Um, and then, uh, but he was, you know, pretty much a lock for the first round. Every mock had him, you know, middle to, you know, from 15 to 22 or 24. Um, I talked to a couple NBA people, and they were pretty confident that he was going to be a first-round pick. So it wasn't really like you know hovering over it. Everyone knew he was going to get drafted, um, but it was a pretty fun event. It was a uh, well catered, which was the first point. Was it well catered, or was it catered well enough for Mike Ramallah to? No. Eat well, out? first of all, it was at the Red Rocks um, Bowling, which I don't know if you've ever been, but they have a VIP room, which is like eight lanes. Wait, so were people bowling? Yeah. Oh. Which is a good, I, I thought was a good idea for a draft party because it gives him something to do other yeah. than just like sit there and like watch. So it's like they got the eight lanes and then they got big screens like above the lanes so you can watch while you're bowling. Yeah. They've got a, a smaller TVs towards the back. So if you want to like sit on the couch and like watch, which a lot of people are doing, you can do that. There's probably like 35 to 40 people there, like friends and family and stuff. Um, Did you bowl? No, I'm there. I'm not there to have fun. I'm yeah, there yeah, to cover but you it. still could have bowled. No, I'm not okay. doing that. Um that's where the party goes to do. I'm not going to the party. I'm covering the party. Okay. So it's it's also like, you know, it, like a, a high school party for me where I'm not going to it, but I'm like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I got you. You're um, old. I got it. So we're well catered pizza, soda, <laughs> chips, nachos, popcorn, chicken fingers, and soda. They also had chicken wings, which I'm not a fan of, which I don't even think I've ever had them. Um, Just wait enough. Hot dog minutes. sliders. Chicken parm sliders, hot dog sliders. What does that mean? It's just, it's just a, a hot mini dog. hot dog. No, not a not a cocktail hot dog. A regular hot dog, but like they cut it? cut in half, oh, but okay. still, but not cut in half. It's like a just a, it's tied up. It's, yeah, you know, yeah, it's I, closed yeah, okay. on both ends, but it's just half of it in a mini bun, and like just stuff like that. And there was a uh, cake pops, um, cookies, you know, also right up my alley. Is Troy Brown afraid of eating foods like you are? I didn't see him eat anything that oh, night. Oh, okay. So um, I'm guessing he was probably nervous, but he showed up in the Golden Knights jersey. Um, he was. You, you got know, a, you got a lot of traction on that tweet, didn't you? He was per. Yeah, I went viral a couple of times. It was nice. Um, <laughs> it made the whole thing worth going to. But he was uh, very good. He's very personable. He was like, it must be tough to host a party like that because like everyone wants to talk to you, like everyone's you know coming up wishing you well. Everyone wants a photo with you. And, you know, that's all fine. He's probably used to that to, to some extent. But also at the same time, you're super like like your life is about to change and you're like nervous. You don't know where you're going. You don't know what's going to happen. It, it'd be like hosting a graduation party, except you don't know if you're going to graduate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like you're waiting for your final exam results <laughs> to come in. And yeah, that's a good that's a good analogy. So um, he did a pretty good job. He bowled and you could see he was like trying to he was nervous, but he was like trying to like hang out with his friends and, you know, laugh and do all that stuff. But uh, yeah, it was a, as far as draft parties go, it was the best one that I've ever been to. Yeah. So and you know the guy got picked. That helps yes. too. Yes, UNLV needs to start 
recruiting players who get drafted in our locks to get drafted so that they can have more draft parties for us to cover. Do you think that would translate into wins in the Mountain West too? Like if they got guys that were as good as the 15th player in the NBA draft? I think NBA players could win in the Mountain West. Maybe. That's what Marvin Menzies has to do. I think Marvin Menzies knows that. Like if, if he starts, if he can get NBA players to come in here, they'll have a good chance of turning it around. What about G League players? Oh, it depends how many you have. If okay. you've got eight Brandon McCoy caliber players on your team last year, you're going to win a lot of games. Because UNLV fans think the Mountain West is better than the G League. And some think it's better than the NBA. I have news for you. It's not better than any of the, it's not better than any professional league in terms of lifestyle, exposure, development. That was another point, not to go back to the Brandon McCoy thing, but people thinking, well, come back and develop your game because I I said, you know, it's he has to change his game. Like he has to become a guy who can hit the pick and pop three-pointer. He has to be a guy who can switch on defense. And saying, "Well, come back to UNLV and develop that." Like, well, you NCAA gives you 20 hours a week. That you can practice officially. It's plenty of time. Just be more efficient. That's part. That's like literally. That's a part-time job. Like twenty hours a week is nothing. Like you go pro, you can practice sixty hours a week. You can practice eighty hours a week. You can put in as much time as you want and as much work as you want. And so I think like that. If you're for a guy like McCoy, for some players it might make sense to come back. For McCoy, it did not make sense to come back. Go out, go work on your game, try to make a team. That's what you're gonna have to do anyways. Is McCoy gonna be on an NBA roster this year? At some point, I think so. Will McCoy get that second NBA contract? That's I don't know. It's the defense. I I keep coming back to that. Like, can he play defense in the NBA? I'm not sure if he can. But if he's seven feet, I do think he's got a good sh- shooting stroke. I think he will hit three pointers in the NBA. The guy, if I were him, if I were his trainers, I would point. I would put on tape of Miles Turner. That's a guy who he reminds me of physically. He's seven feet tall. He's kind of stringy. He's not a good athlete. Um, the difference is Miles Turner is a okay in space, but he can block a few shots. He can block a couple shots, and he can hit threes. McCoy, if he can get to that level, or at least not to that, if he can be Miles Turner's backup, the backup version of Miles Turner, he will make millions upon mil- millions of dollars, and he'll live a very happy life. That's what he's got to get to. Yeah. I, the thing with his defense, though, is why is he bad at defense? He's I think not he's, unathletic. I think- I think for the NBA, he's average or below athletically. Okay, why was he I think bad got, in I think college? His, I think though. his feet are not. He, I don't think he has very quick feet. So I think, you've got cement feet. And I that's think side. To, one I think answer. moving side, shuffling side to side is not his strength. Like we saw, like the the uh, juxtaposition when someone would drive and score a layup, and McCoy would you know be on the other side of the paint, and he would turn his head and just look, and the guy would you know he would watch the guy score a layup as opposed to. And back a Jiang would see him driving, and, and he would quickly shuffle over and get there and contest it. You say foul, I say contest it. <laughs> For the purpose of this comparison, um, it sounds better to say he contests it. But he could quickly move his feet and, you know, bang, bang, boom, he's on the other side of the paint and he's, you know, at least getting in the way. And with a guy like Mbaki Jiang, he is someone that you could say, come back for another year, get more reps, and maybe you do get there a half step sooner so you can block the shot instead of just fouling. He's also a guy that's played basketball for all of yes, three years yes, of his there, life. He is a guy who can still stand to develop a lot. We don't know what he is, whereas NBA people, they sort of know what Brandon McCoy is. It's just they know what he's got to become, and can he get there? That's just my opinion, that Miles Turner comparison. But I do think he will eventually be a three-point shooter. I don't know if he'll be able to play out in space, but if you can at least teach him team defense and where he needs to be on time— 
then maybe he's you know being seven feet is enough to deter shots at the rim. For him, it's three-point shooting, rim protection, defending in space. Those are the three things. If he does one of them, he'll play in the NBA and he'll be a millionaire. If he does two of them, he'll be signing contracts and he'll never have to worry about uh, money the rest of his life. If he does three of them, he'll blow everyone away and he'll be an all-star. I am going to retroactively yell at Marvin Menzies if Brandon McCoy becomes a three-point shooter in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, that's he took nine this year. Yeah. And he made three, which is not terrible. I mean, on UNLV, that probably puts him second, <laughs> percentage-wise. But, uh, yeah, that's just it's not part of the plan. And maybe... maybe I know it's he, not, but we spent the whole year yelling at him about, you don't shoot threes, the other team's draining 21 yeah. of them. And if he's sitting on a seven-footer out here that can sit here and stroke 40% of threes... It's like, all right, what were we doing this whole time? And that's one thing. That is one part of his game where if he comes back, like maybe, you know, uh, McCoy's— Oh, Menzies ain't letting him shoot threes. You know, I think that's the one part of his game where maybe McCoy's handler comes in and says, hey, if he comes back, you've got to, you know, we need him to shoot threes. He's got to shoot a couple threes a game. you got to let him take those shots and get run some plays to get him um, open threes. And if he makes them at a good clip, I could see Menzies somewhat relenting. Even though that's not his style, in order to get McCoy back for another year, I could see him maybe relenting on that. Um but the other stuff is just no. It's like I don't even think Menzies would love to shoot. And that's the and that's the easiest one to improve. Like shooting, you don't need to come back to college for another year to become a better shooter. Like you can do that on your own in the gym with rebounders and a shooting coach and just determination. Like you can do that on your own. You don't need to come back to college to do that. So that's sort of a moot point. All right, you want to do Jaws? Do you think if James Neal leaves Las Vegas as a free agent? leaves the Golden Knights, you think people would be this mad about it and argue about it for this long? You know what's weird? That, that goes back to my point of UNLV having more UNLV fans having more passion. On this specific in, uh, topic, yes, though. People will talk about James Neal a lot because they have been talking about James Neal a lot. Because what's weird is I tweeted out a quote from a story in Calgary about James Neal, and I got a lot of people responding, and... A lot of them were like, see you, James Neal. Like, there was no loyalty to James Neal. Like, it was strange to me. Like, a lot of people were like, oh, you should have taken the first offer the Golden Knights offered you. See you later. You know, you're 30 years old. We don't want to give you five years. So it's strange. I think this Brandon McCoy topic, yes, it's more intense, but I don't feel like the James Neal one is that far behind. I think that's enough to make my point that Brandon McCoy is a like a one and done who was here for a year and people are angry at him for executing the plan and what was the plan all along. Whereas James Neal is part of a historic season and was, you know, your October 1st, like hero after that happened and scoring all the game winning goals to start the season. He was the first like star of the team. And I, I think McCoy leaving for the pros will generate much more anger and much stronger. Anger. Like people may be talking about, I, talking about James Neal, but I just feel like, they can't be as angry as they are about Brandon McCoy. But people were more angry at you than they were Brandon McCoy. I don't think that's the case. I you think don't people think so? were angry at McCoy. Like we, I saw some of the Twitter comments. I would, and these are just the ones that are coming in at me, saying like, "Oh well, um, I guess it was too hard to come back and take uh, fake classes that you don't even have to go to." You know, those <laughs> those kind of stuff. Like good riddance. Like we don't like you know. That's I don't know. I I do feel I, a little bad because I totally baited people into tweeting at me about McCoy. Just the way I phrase my tweet of Brandon McCoy came to UNLV as a five-star first-round projection kid, and he leaves UNLV undrafted in the NBA. Like I, the way, just the way I phrased it was, yeah, come tell me that you were right, and I'll yell at you. 
someone tweeted like something something similar. It's like he came to UNLV. He was a projected lottery pick, and then he slipped out of the draft. Come back for another year to build your value back up. And I was like, well, if that's the case, like if if one year at UNLV dropped his value <laughs> like sixty draft spots, why are you going to come back and do it? Like you're going to drop to the fifth round of the draft? Like like how much further do you want him to drop by coming back here? And I'm joking, obviously saying that, but like some of the logic in these arguments that people are making, it just does not it does not compute with me. All right, you want to do jaws? I do. Okay. First of all, what's the what's the food here? What are we eating? You want to know it now? Yeah, watermelon. Does it have seeds in it? Uh, it doesn't have black seeds, but it has white seeds. Okay. Because I don't know if you, can you get watermelon without white seeds? I don't know. I've I've had watermelon before. I'm fine okay, with it. Okay, you're fine with that. Yeah. All right. It's it's a very easy food to eat. There's no Oh, it's just chopped up too. Yeah. I thought you were gonna give me like the, a slice with the rinds and everything. Yeah, no, no. We're not gonna be that messy. Yeah. Little little chopped up watermelon. Uh you chose poorly, my friend. I know, I know. I actually forgot if you go after I went to the grocery store and we had bought watermelon yeah. and I was like, Yeah, if we'll you choose a fruit, you got a good chance of like of catch of catching me. If you had chosen like a plum or you know, something a raspberry or something like that. You could have got me. But watermelon. You can do watermelon. I can do that. All right. This payoff isn't gonna be as good. All right, Jaws. If you don't know what we're doing, I don't watch movies. Mike doesn't eat food. So Mike makes me watch some classic famous movie and we talk about it and then he has to eat a food he's maybe never eaten before that I bring for him. So what do you got? Uh summer movies. Are we, are we that do, are that we was playing a, a game here or, or are we just talking I was, about it? I was thinking about it. I was going to um I kicked around a couple ideas. I didn't come up with any. Okay. Because my, my first thing on Jaws is, is this movie solely responsible for like shark mania and shark fear? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's um because like this shark in this movie is bloodthirsty to the point of like it's tearing boats apart, like it just wants to kill everything. And I'm like, I don't think that's how sharks act. But it's also like that's how everybody thinks sharks yeah. act, and I'm pretty sure it's like, yeah, Jaws is responsible for that. It was, uh, it came out in 1975, but in, I think two years earlier, it was a book. It was a novel by um, Peter Benchley, and that was like his first novel, and it became a huge bestseller. But the interesting thing about the book, you want to do a synopsis of the movie first? Do a synopsis of the movie. Tell me, tell me. There's a shark, and it's eating everybody, and they have to kill it. It's great. They're in some. Is is Amity? Amity's a fake place, or is it's it a fake. real place? It's fake. Okay. It's just like a Massachusetts okay. resort town. It's an island. Uh, this guy, who I assume was a cop at one point in New York City, has now become the cop in. What do they call him? The chief. They don't ever call him the sheriff, which I thought was weird. Uh, he's the chief in Amity, and Amity is a beach town. People come there for the summer, but some girl got killed by a shark. But the doctor said it was a boat after the mayor pressured him to saying it was a boat. So everything's fine. The beaches are open. Then a little kid gets eaten on a raft. And, oh, God, there's a shark. Uh, so they, oh, yeah, the m mother of the little boy puts out an ad. All these people come in trying to kill the shark. They kill a shark, but it's not the shark. And then every, but the beaches are still open. But then they see a shark. And then the beaches are closed. And then the police chief along with crazy fisherman and what's the other guy's job oceanographer or something like that He's I from the oceanographic institute oh yeah whatever they go out on this boat trying to hunt this shark down and they eventually hunt the shark down and kill him well the police chief kills him the other two guys are kind of useless in the end and that's the end of the movie not enough shark by the way well that's and it's that's like one of the great uh hollywood like legends of all time is that they built this gigantic 
um, expensive mechanical shark that was that worked underwater and um, for all the underwater shots and the attacks and everything. And they got on set, and Steven Spielberg was the director. This is his first feature film, and uh, the shark didn't work. Oh, they couldn't get it to work. Um, so improvising, and they went. I think like it was the shoot was. I was reading up on it. Shoot was supposed to last for about two months. They went way over. It was dragging off for about six months because of weather and the mechanical shark. And um, they shot like actual on location on the ocean. It's not in a, a water tank in Hollywood. Um, they're out on the ocean in a boat. And it was just hard to uh, harder than harder than he thought to execute the the shooting. And the shark was a uh, malfunctioning was a big thing. So they had to eventually. He said, "We're running out of time. We got to work around this because we're spending too much money." So that's why for like the first half of the movie, like you don't see the shark. They yeah. do that point of the shark POV where it's like this the camera underwater, like going around people's legs and like in between the people. And it actually ended up being scarier and more effective than just showing the shark cruising around like in the first five minutes of the movie. I don't know. I wanted more shark. At least shark fin. We're like halfway through the movie and I haven't seen a shark fin yet. I was like, that's the I know what was this the 70s maybe it wasn't then but now it's like that's the hallmark oh crap there's a shark coming like is there's a shark fin we didn't see that very early um was there like a default scary music before this no okay this was um the first time that john williams and steven spielberg worked together and now obviously john williams is like a 10-time oscar winner and he scores all his movies and he's got all those famous scores but yeah this was the jaws soundtrack which... what is up with the first girl who dies like getting dunked into the water and back up and then dunked again. I feel like if a shark was getting you, it's not going to dunk you into the water and let you back up. It's going to just take you. No, I think they um they bite and they pull you and they Is that what they do? Yeah, they roll you and they Yeah, they don't okay. just like swallow you whole first. Well, yeah, of all. I know they don't swallow you whole, but like it was almost well, it looked people... as though somebody was just down there tugging on her foot and then it's like if your older brother was like at the beach with you and he's going to well, dunk you. Some people do water. survive shark attacks because they bite you and then they swim away and then they come back and Yeah, it's pretty um, graphic pictures in this when he's flipping through the book there's like three of them. It's like yeah. Jesus. Guy's so, legs um, not attached to his bone anymore. Yeah, they don't just grab you and, and run off. They um they bump into you. That's another thing they do. If I'm haven't read up on sharks recently, but I think some of my general knowledge, I think they 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 circle you. And then they'll bump into you to see like if you're a prey or if you'll um, if you're vulnerable or if you're edible, and they'll just bump you a couple times, and then they'll circle back, and then they'll take a bite, and then they'll keep circling, and then when they think it's like time to go in for the kill, then they go in for the kill. And so like if a shark, if that gigantic shark is dragging that woman, like back and forth like that, I think that's what it would kind of look like. Right, but the very first thing, she's not getting dragged; it's just dunked in the water and back up. Yeah, the shark just yeah okay bumping her or or just taking a. A bite on the foot or something like that. Okay. But yeah, he's he's getting a taste for human uh, human flesh. All right. So big, I don't know if theme is the right word, but big point of this movie is the mayor of Amity doesn't want to close the beaches down because they're going to lose all their tourism. How great and like an understated villain is the mayor? It's pretty great. In Jaws. I, and I love his jacket where he's got the little anchors on it. That's great. But the, he doesn't want to close the beaches because they'll lose all their tourism money and that's how this town makes all its money versus the police chief is like, Brady is like, we got to close the first sign of danger. He wants to close the beaches. And you got the dude from the Oceanographic Institute who's yelling at the mayor like, I'm not going to waste my time arguing with this buffoon. So it's great and all. One question on it though, because 
Brady wants to close the beaches as Brody. soon as Bro- it's Brody? Brody. It's not Brady. Whatever. Brody. Brody wants to close the beaches as soon as the doctor tells him shark attack. We've got a great scene where he's typing on the typewriter and he types in shark attack. But then later, the mayor like finds Brody and he's like, "You can't close the beaches. This happens all the time. It's just a boat attack or boat attack, <laughs> a boating accident." And the doctor is there and he's like, "Yeah, it was just a boating accident. I was wrong." Was the why would the doctor not have been in on this from the beginning? Like, I feel like the doctor would have been like, oh, God, the mayor's going to be mad at me if I say this is a shark attack. Um, that's such a minor plot point. I would, if you asked me to defend that, I would say probably the um, the coroner or the um, autopsy guy probably did not expect uh, Chief Brody to take that report and use it to justify closing all the beaches for okay. the entire summer. So you just, thought it would be a shark I don't, attack. I just, and- to me, it just, when they're on the ferry... And it's like the mayor's here. It just felt like the entirety of like, you can't close the town down because of summer. I feel like the doctor would have been like, oh yeah, we we can't do that. And this is also a good way we to show. This is all also a good way to show you the mayor being persuasive and powerful. Because if the if it's just from the beginning that the coroner is in on it, then you don't really get to see it. But you see it in action when they're on the the ferry, and the mayor is like, yeah, and uh, well, he was wrong. That's what he was wrong. And then he. Um, the coroner sort of uh, shuffles his feet and he's can't look him in the eye and he's like, yeah, it's a, a boating accident. It's, so it's like you get to see the mayor doing his thing where he's like persuading people and sort of putting his thumb down on on the scale and um, tipping it in in his favor. So like that's they just want to show you the mayor being the mayor. The other thing I didn't like about that, fast forward to after the little kid getting eaten. The mayor is still all like, we can't close the beaches. We caught, we killed the shark that did it. And we can't split open his stomach here because we don't want to see the little kid fall out. Blah blah blah. But like this whole idea of if people think there's a shark that killed a kid in the water, they're not going to show up. But we killed the shark, so it's okay. Wouldn't people have been scared off anyway? Um, like the- are people just going to believe? Oh yeah, it was one shark, and there's no chance I'm going to die now. Like I feel like that would just the idea of. Little kid eaten by a shark, and it's not like they hid that. Like, that was a big thing. I feel like that would have killed off the tourism regardless. Well, I'm say that's 1975. So it's not like you can Google the beach before and say, like... But when you're driving in, the big sign's now got the fin and the girl saying, help, shark. Yeah, I'm just saying, it's... um, So if the only news that comes out of this tiny town from the Amity Gazette or whatever their local paper is, is... um, you know, shark, uh, boy dies in shark attack. And then the next story is, you know, local fishermen kill a shark. Um, that might be enough for you. And also you, they show the, um, they are taking the photo on the dock after they kill a shark. And you hear the guy saying, um, you know, let's get this out there. Let's, let's try to get this on the state wire. Let's try to get Boston to pick this story up. They want that story to go wide. So they are trying to do like, they're trying to promote and publicize the fact that, Hey, we killed the shark. Let's get this. Let's get all the big, uh, media outlets to pick this up so people know. So I think they are trying to combat that that PR story. I guess, but I just feel like I don't know. Maybe it's because it's seventy five and no, but people show up because they didn't know. I don't know. It's just strange. Um, why did the sheriff or not the sheriff? Why did Brody let his family go to the beach when he knows there's a shark out there? Uh, I think they that weren't. Seemed like bad parenting. They weren't going in the water, and also he made his uh, kids stay in the pond, which was like a little inlet where there's no waves and it's sort of disconnected from the ocean but they're still you know it's still channeled into the ocean and um he makes him stay in there because you know sharks not gonna go in there until it does 
and that's a very that's like one of the good scenes in the movie when he's running along to to save his son and the son gets knocked off the boat and then you just see the shark coming towards him and then you see the guy's foot you know drifting to the bottom of yeah. the, the inlet but it just felt like it was bad parenting I mean, all along, he's telling his kids to stay out of the water. Like, yeah, he didn't do a very good job of actually keeping them out of the water. Well, how about the mayor who makes that guy and his wife and his family go into the ocean? Yeah. When he knows there's a shark out there, yeah, too. That was that was also weird, too, because if you're... Would the mayor actually care if they went in the water? Yeah. Like, because, if he's worried about tourism I mean, dollars, they're there already. But how... It's not just one week. July 4th is their busiest weekend, but it's not their only weekend. So if people go on that July 4th, and they, they're at the beach, and they don't go into the water, and then they go home the next day, are they going to say, that was fun, let's go back there again? Yeah, it's like, I guess. Are they going to tell their friends, like, yeah, we had such a great time? They're going to say, no, we were on the beach, but it was there were armed guards, and it was too scary to go in the water. So but Also, the argument that Brody did not make at the very beginning was, if a person gets eaten by a shark, you're not going to have any more Fourth of Julys. Like, that was the very the most obvious argument to make to this dude, was like, if people get eaten by a shark, they're not coming back ever. I think Not he, I think he does make that argument. No, the and oceanographic dude makes it later in the movie. And then Brady, uh, Brody, uh, you got me calling him Brady. Yeah, sorry. And then Chief Brody also says a, a, a good line. He says, you're the mayor of Shark City. Like, you just signed this ordinance for me to hire a contractor to kill a shark. He says, it's over. You're the mayor of Shark City. It's over. Yeah, so, too late, though. Yeah. Um, Who yeah. gets the $10,000? Uh, that's a good question. Not Quint. Because we got the fisherman who dies. I, who I was... thought of one of my things I was going to try and do was maybe we should still do it. Do you want to play a game? Sure. This is one of the ideas I had to reject. Okay. I didn't think I didn't think it would play on the radio. I was going to say game that Mike rejected. I was going to I was going okay. to have you. Um, I had a couple different games. One I was going to see how many of the top ten summertime grossing movies you could pick. Okay. You could name. And I was like, ah, that's just, that's just you picking names out of a hat. That's yeah. not very compelling. Then I was going to see if you could how much of the Quint speech, the USS Indianapolis speech, you could recite if you oh, could give that monologue. Recite? None, you, none at all. But yeah, but you know, how much you could paraphrase and give the gist of it um, from beginning to end. And Part of my that. problem that was with be my... not liking, not, I shouldn't say not liking, but not having anything big in movies is I can't remember any lines at all. At all. Like I, I can Not remember... even from an all-time great monologue like him when he's talking about Going down with the USS Indianapolis. The only thing I was thinking while he was telling that was, wow, I'd rather be watching that movie. That was it. Yeah, yeah. You delivered the bomb for Hiroshima, and then your mission was so secret that they didn't even send out an SOS when you got hit by a Japanese submarine missile. And then it was, I can't remember how many people, 3,000 men and... 1,100 went into the water. 316 came out or something. That's what it was, yeah. And that He's, was when he was... He saw one of his friends. He thought he was asleep, but he was actually dead. And the, that was when he was the most frightened, was when this rescue ship came and he was waiting for his turn to get out of the water, which if you think about it, would be the most terrifying time. Yeah. Like if you see 800 of your people get eaten by sharks over the past couple of days and then you're waiting for your turn and it's taking you a half hour to get out of the water. <laughs> ooh. So you don't want to recite, you don't want to try and give your best Quint speech? Okay. that's No. Um, what, what was the purpose of the life jackets? I didn't quite pick up because I know he says something about he never wear a life jacket again. Then he gives them life jackets, but then they never use them. But then it's because it's Quint is like a classic like Ahab character. Do you know? Are you familiar with Moby Dick? Yeah. And it's very on the nose because he's also on the ocean hunting a, <laughs> a killer fish. 
Um, so it's not like that much of a like stretch. They're not really like making you work that much to make that comparison. But um, yeah, with his background, you can see he's got the background with sharks, that traumatic experience. He's got a vendetta. He's basically devoted his life to hunting sharks. They show you his cabin, and it's just covered with shark jaws that he's you know he's hunted and killed, and he's hung up. And he goes through that. He tells you that story about the Indianapolis where everyone died and he barely made it out. And he says, you know, I'll never wear a life jacket again. It means if he goes into the like he's he's not gonna let it like he's not gonna wait around to be eaten by a shark. And then uh, so when the boat starts to sink, or when they start to take on water and it's becoming clear, like they can't pump it out, like it's completely. Re- and he gets more and more crazy, like Ahab. He gets crazed as it goes along. Like he's yeah. Is there a reason for why he just goes insane? Because like- he wants to kill the shark. Yeah, like, yeah. But he, like he becomes obsessed with okay. this shark and he wants to kill it. And they're like, well, let's let's lure it back into the mainland and uh, uh, get some help to kill it. And he's like, no. And they're like, I'm gonna kill it right now. And they're saying, don't push the engines that hard. And he just blows the engine. He's like, out. no, we're gonna tire the shark out by towing him, and then we're going to kill him, and then it ruins the boat. And then Brody says, we're going to radio for help, and we're going to get some more boats out here, and we're going to tell them where we are, and they're going to come out here and help us. And he breaks up the radio. He takes a baseball bat to it and destroys it because he's going to kill that shark because that's his only mission in life now, and he's so obsessed with it. That's all he can think about, like Captain Ahab and Moby Dick when he's trying to kill the the whale at all costs. And then when he, the ship starts to go down, and they're taking on water. He throws them life jackets to the other two guys, and he does not take one for himself. That's when he's saying, like, I'm going to die. He knows, like, this is the end for him. The only thing he wants to do is take that shark out with him. So it's like that's when he throws those two guys life jackets, that's him basically admitting, like, I'm like I'm going to die. I'm I'm dying on the ocean. I know it. This is my time. I'm gonna, I got to get that shark before I go. So that's just basically it. It's just a, without saying it, he just, you guys take your life jackets. I don't even want one. That's good. I like that. So it's, uh, did, did this feel like a summertime popcorn movie? Yes. Did it really? Yeah. I never got that sense from it, but it's, it, it's the movie that's credited with popularizing the summertime. That's why we did a category of summertime movies, like fun summer movies. And Jaws set the template for it. It was the first real movie to, at that point, movies were just released any time of year, like whatever, winter, fall, whatever, whatever your big picture was of the year, you know, you released it when when you wanted to. Jaws was the first movie. It was released at the beginning of summer in May. It And it was the first time that a movie like that had a huge national opening. Movies at that time, at that point in time used to open in select cities and they would roll it out, and they would add more and more and more screens as it went along, and it would sort of be like a rolling opening. Jaws was the first movie that opened wide on like every theater that it could on the first day, and the first movie that had a large national promotion behind it, where it was like every like every state, every TV station, every show commercials for Jaws. Like, got to see Jaws. I even I think that even. The film's producers read the book before it was even published. They read like the galleys of it, the uh, like the trade uh, version before it was even released, and they bought the rights to it. And I think they even promoted the book. Like the producers of the movie were, it was in their interest to make that book a bestseller because then they wanted to turn it into a movie. So it was in the works for a long time to, to sort of turn this into a big hit. And they made it. They released it at the beginning of summer, and it was. It was at the time it came out. It was the highest grossing movie of all time. With a broken shark. Yeah. And uh, 
So that sort of set the template for it. Then two years later, sort of Star Wars did the same thing. They opened in the summer and with big promotion. And Jaws also sort of um, broke ground with merchandising, toys, posters, um, all that kind of stuff. And that's basically been the template ever since. You got whatever your studio's biggest movie, whatever you think your biggest potential moneymaker is for that year, you open it in the summer, you have a big promotional blitz leading up to it. You open it as wide as you can on as many theater on as many screens, make it an event to go that first weekend. And uh that's pretty much that's Jaws's like lasting legacy. But it's I feel like it's sort of evolved to more of like Jaws has horror elements to it in like actual like scares where I feel like most summer movies now you think of a summer movie and you think of like action adventure, feel good, like wisecracking, like protagonist and Jaws, like you feel like there's no stars in the movie. They're all the three leads are like character actors. And you feel like any of them could be eaten by a shark in any scene of the movie. Like Should have. Should have just eaten everybody. So I don't feel like the I don't so I don't it sort of started that summer thing. I don't feel like I never got like a summertime vibe like watching it. Aside from the fact that it's that set it in the summer. summer and it's like a beach <laughs> they're on the beach all the time. Yeah, like that. But I don't I don't get like that summery vibe, like, hey, this is a summertime movie. Let's go out and have a good time and just like turn off our brains. So I don't get that, but it did start like that summer movie thing. Why are there four jaws? Um, because like I said, it was the highest grossing movie of all time. It sold a ton of merchandise. But like, are there four more sharks? Is that what it is? I have not seen all the sequels. I think I probably have, but not in a long time and only bits and pieces. But I think like part two is no one came back from the first movie. And it's like his son, Brody's son is like, no, no, Brody is in the second one. And it's like the sharks. There's like another shark that attacks them. And they end up, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, I think they end it by he tricks the shark into biting into like some underground cable that electrocutes it or something. Mm, that's good. And then part three is Brody's son works in a, like a sea world type thing, like an underground sea world, like tourist attraction. And some shark gets loose and the place floods and the shark is like swimming through eating people. Um, and they're all just awful. The first one is Spielberg at his like finest. Like and then the rest of them were done by like other people and they're not very good and at then all. And Sharknado came along and blew Jaws out of the water for best <laughs> shark movie. I, yeah, I have seen all the Sharknados. It's um, I got one last thing for you on Jaws. Go. I did enjoy that he was a cop from New York City and at one point he says like, in New York City there's so much crime you don't ever feel like you're accomplishing anything, but in Amity one man can make a difference. But then he's in Amity and he's like inundated with people complaining about karate kids chopping up their fences and the one dude who's complaining about cats or something like that. But then at the end, he's the one man that makes a difference and he kills the shark. Yeah. It's a Jaws is very um, well written. Oh, and and he is when he's on the boat, he is given the, the menial task of chumming the water and he openly complains about it. He'd rather not be doing that. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's Jaws is well written in the sense that um, it does just a good job of establishing like characters and scene and setting. Like in that first few minutes, you get this, you know that he's a big city cop. They tell you the kind of cases he has to work on on this island town. Um, they show you what kind of family like they have. The wife is great. The wife is excellent. She should get like some sort of sort of uh, supporting actress nomination for that movie. Not not Oscar winning, but nominated. Yeah. Even though she only has like a handful of lines, <laughs> she's unbelievable in the movie. Um, 
you just get like the sense of like you care about him, you care about the characters around him. That's why like when those three guys are on the boat and there's nowhere to go and there's nothing they can do to fight off this shark. It's so tense because like you care about all of them. It's not like when it's not like a movie that's lesser well done where you're like you never start rooting for the shark in Jaws. Like I feel like in Jaws 2 and Jaws 3 and Jaws 4 you probably end up rooting for the shark. Whereas in the first one you're like you're rooting for the people because they seem like real people. So that's uh in it's also Jaws was like going back to the definition of like a summer movie. It was also like a very high concept movie, which is like high concept. You can explain it in like one line. You can just give me like one line. Like it's just people who are stranded trying to hunt down a shark. And like, that's like enough to tell you to sell the movie. You could sell it with, to a studio with like one line. And that's like, it started like a string of movies that were like that. Much the way like Die Hard started this string of like, it's Die Hard on a train, Die Hard on a plane. It's like, Alien came out a few years later, and that was like, it's Jaws in space. Jaws in space. It's very high concept. So, like, that's like Jaws's legacy. But that's a, it doesn't feel like a summer movie to me, summer movie to me now, but if you're going to start watching those popcorn flicks, you should, that's a good place to start. You want your watermelon now? Mm, sure. I like watermelon. I did not, I did not do well this week, apparently. Last week was great with the ranch. Mike sweating before eating a carrot and ranch. That was good. I don't think we have the same thing here. It can't all be winners. I know. I didn't really bring you any utensils. You just kind of get out this cube of watermelon. Good. When's the last time you had watermelon? It's good. I prefer it colder, but this is pretty good. Yeah, it hasn't been in the fridge for like, how long have we been doing this? An hour and 10 minutes. It's still pretty good. When's the last time you had watermelon? Got to be 10 years at Are least. Are you going to eat all four of those pieces in there? Like, no. is it good enough for you I'm to not, eat I'm going to eat this okay. cube. I'm going to eat this. Okay. I didn't, you were like, it's good. I didn't know if that meant like, yeah, I'm going to finish finish this off here. No, I don't like, I don't go out of my way to eat watermelon. Yeah. It's, like I said, I was, prob- I was probably in high school or college at like some family barbecue or something. And I had a slice of watermelon. My grandfather loves watermelon, uh, grows watermelon. And what's hilarious is when I go to his house, he will take a full watermelon. He'll ask you, do you want watermelon? And if you say yes, he cuts it in half, puts it in a baking pan, and gives you half of the watermelon while he eats the other half. (laughs) And he does this at about 3 p.m. and then expects you to be ready to eat dinner at 5 p.m. It's great. Watermelon's good, though. Well, it's not filling. Yeah, it's just water. (laughs) I mean, you you could probably eat it and sit down and eat an entire watermelon if you wanted to. Yeah, maybe. one sitting. Maybe. Ugh. It's a little tiring spitting out the seeds, though, when you have black seeds in there. I just eat them. You just eat the black seeds? I don't yeah. think you're supposed to do that. I don't know what the repercussions are. Is it going to grow watermelon? I don't in know what stomach? the repercussions That's are. That's what my mom used to tell me. But I feel but like it's I'm, bad for you. I think it's not true. Okay. So the I worst thing the that's going to happen seeds. is it's going to uh, not be digested, and I yeah, can deal with that's that. That's the problem there. That's the problem. Um, Most of what you eat is non digestible, huh? So, Jaws, where does Jaws rank on the list of movie on the scale of movies that I've showed you so far? Uh, Second to last. You didn't like it? Yeah, not that much. Oh, my God. Like, it was okay. It wasn't bad. That was a tough crowd. What was the worst one so far? I think Blade Runner's at the bottom of my list right now. I can see that would be a hard movie to get. Yeah. But... Hard movie to like. It's... You've got to... It's... You've got to appreciate it on, like, multiple viewings and stuff. Okay. But, yeah. It's it's seeing as how you're more of a no-viewing kind of guy. Yeah, none at all. Multiple viewings. I don't don't see you as the type that's going to go back and rewatch a movie. No, no. Maybe Sharknado 6. Might go back and might rewatch that one. 
Uh, are we doing a show next week? I don't know. What is next week? I think so. Yeah, probably. We should do one next week. Do you want to pick a movie? Yeah, we should. Okay. What are my categories here? I am calling them up as we speak. Horror movies, which are very scary. Drama. Um, Western. Little cowboys. How old are the shooters. Westerns? I've got a modern one in there, and then I've got... Uh, I've got the I've got three westerns. One is Unforgiven, which came out in the mid '90s. It's Clint Eastwood, that one best picture, and that's like a very, it's like short. It's very easy to digest. It's like not too hard to. It's like a modern movie, and it's um, that would probably be the most, like the easiest one to watch. But there's not a lot of meat to it. It's pretty straightforward. Um, I've got a spaghetti western, which is uh. I the don't good, know what that the is. good, the bad, and the ugly. A is restaurant it, by my house called Spaghetti Western. Spaghetti Westerns were a string of movies in the, like the '60s and the '70s that were financed by Italian production companies and shot in Italy, sometimes, most of the time, um, but with American actors. And um, there's a style to them where it's very like man against like. You watch Spaghetti Western and it's like he's standing on a street, like shoot, there's a shootout in the street and it's like they show you the gunfighter and they show you the other fighter and then they show you the first one again, but they zoom in a little bit on his face and they show you the other guy and they just go back and forth, back and forth until it's like just their eyes and do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yes. And then they show his hand and it's a shot of his hand for 10 seconds and then it twitches a little bit as he's getting ready to draw his gun and the gunfight takes, you know, 12 minutes to unfold to fire two shots. And that's like a spaghetti western. It's very stylized sort of westerns. It's not a John Wayne western, um, which is the third one, which is The Searchers, which is a John Wayne western. Probably the best movie, in my opinion, that he ever did. John Wayne was like a... I feel like I should do the John Wayne one. He's... That's a... And it's an amazing movie. It's The Searchers. It's a... It's, I think it's long. Um but it's good. It's okay. And, you thought Die Hard was short, and it's been like the longest movie yeah, I've watched true. so hard. It's um, John Wayne was like a, a fist fighting cowboy back in the day. He was like the American icon. He's like the guy who tamed the West in the movies, anyways. And he'd come out and he'd you know beat up, he'd beat up all the bad guys, and uh, he'd win in the end. And then he'd ride off into the sunset. And The Searcher's a little a little more nuanced. It's probably like the best film that he made. If you want to watch that, yep, one hour fifty nine minutes. Which is pretty long for Western back then, but now I guess that's pretty shorter than Die Hard, too. Yeah, so I mean, if you want to go Western this week, you can do that. Um, All right, let's do the Searchers. Okay, I have it on DVD. Oh, that's nice. I don't so, know if I'm going to see you before the next time we record this. Though I'll dig it out. We can play um, if we play hoops this week. I can play hoops. I can bring it. Don't tell everybody. Now they're going to want pictures of you playing basketball against me, one on one. I don't think anyone's going to want that. Yeah, I think they do. Public embarrassment is a very popular thing in our culture. I would not be embarrassed. You wouldn't? Okay. Okay. All right. The searchers it is. I don't think we'll yell at you about Brandon McCoy anymore. I think we'll let that one float off. Oh, he'll be back in town for the summer league. That's right. We will get to see him play with Milwaukee. You think UNLV fans will show up and say, you should have come back? How do you think... Forget about Brandon McCoy. We want Jovan Mooring. Oh my God! Yes, league. we do. I'll go to somebody go. from 
I'll go to every one of his games and I'll interview him after every game. Somebody from Sportando tweeted that he's talking to teams and oh, I, I want nothing more than Jovan Mooring at the Summer League and green light Jovan Mooring at the Summer League. Like I want him to do what was it, Josh Selby a few years ago when he was putting up like 40 points a game in the Summer League for the Grizzlies. Never made a roster because he was just out there chucking. But that's what I want Jovan Mooring to do. Just some, I don't want him buried on a bench. I want green light Jovan Mooring, somebody that doesn't really care about Summer League because they don't have any prospects to develop or something like that. Let Jovan Morning Chuck. It would be the best thing for all of us. Yeah. Absolutely. Who doesn't love Jovan?